Ethel's Travel Tales, Accounts from an Addicted Travel Photographer. Single Stories, Into the Dunes, Part 1, United States of America, France, United Arab Emirates, and Australia. My photo assignments took me to several locations of natural landscapes, and within these regions were often nearby sand dunes. Always evocative and able to be used for many ideas and products, as far as the photo library was concerned, I always took advantage of their proximity. In fact, I really enjoyed running around these massive sand pits, looking for the ridges that visually appear only in the early morning or late afternoon. Here is a survey of some of the different ones I came across and the totally different environments in which they exist. December 1985, Death Valley, California, USA. I drove to the sand dunes in the afternoon. At first, the area looks very odd and small, a pile of sand sitting amidst the scrubland in a valley surrounded by mountains. But as you begin to climb into the dunes, you realize how big they are. I immediately tackled the tall dune in an attempt to get those wonderful linear shots. It took a while. At first I thought I had no flair for dunes, but then I realized that you have to pursue them. Once inside, there really is nothing but sand, and perhaps a small mountain range here if you look up. The dunes are great fun to crawl up and fairly easy, Wonderful image of me straddling the line of a sand dune that extends far into the distance. Suddenly I realized how far and how high I was. Where did I get the energy? The trip to getting good shots of dunes is to shoot early and late in the day. The wavy lines, dark against the bright sand, only come out when the sun is low. The wind that created the dunes in the first place, blowing the sand into enclaves that build up and make wonderful patterns, visible only when the sun is low in the sky. I snapped away until suddenly it changed from yellow to gray. The sun had dipped below the horizon. August 1987, Bordeaux Coast, France. On a French shoot in the west of France, I arrived at Pila Plage, it's in a ginormous range of sand dunes sandwiched between a dense forest and an ocean. It's extremely high. From the top, a beautiful view of the forest to the east, Arcachon and Cap Ferrat to the north, endless Atlantic Ocean to the west, and more, almost as high dunes to the south. Lawrence of Arabia stuff, except for the green trees and blue ocean. There is a steep sand-covered wood stairway up, and everyone sinks shin deep in the sand walking down. That's a great one for lisps, isn't it? It was great fun, and with all the extra photographic kilos on my back, I sunk even further than everyone else. I'll have to come back here out of season, perhaps October. I can even add a few shots, perhaps, of the Bordeaux Festival while I'm here. October 1987, White Sands, New Mexico, USA. 
Taking advantage of a break on a photo shoot for the Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta somewhat up north of here, I'm now in Alamogordo, famous for, well, being next to White Sands Missile Range and National Monument. It's a well-equipped pit stop. There are motels, Holiday Inn, Six, Best Western, etc., and Eats, Denny's, Burger King, McDonald's. We're 50 miles from El Paso, which is just next to Juarez, and there's a definite feeling of being on the frontier. A good place to verify that New Mexico was part of old Mexico once. I got up relatively late, only 4.45 in the morning as compared to an hour earlier normally for the balloons, but I drove five hours and then shot at White Sands this afternoon. I'm also hungry and the waitress hasn't even come to my order yet. What happened to Denny's coffee shop service? New decor, new menus, new mosaic, but same old slow service. White Sands itself is the object of the exercise. It's extremely unusual. In the midst of a desert plain of scrubland and the high dramatic rise of Sandia Mountains are these dunes. They're not very high, and they don't go on and on. They have valleys between each rise, but they are white and powdery, crunchy, more like coral sand than the normal type. They are, in fact, gypsum, and you don't quite realize it until you're on them. Then you step on hard crystal. In fact, the dunes themselves were hard. You walk on the surface, not sinking down as the normal type, as per Pila Plage France just mentioned. Even climbing up to the top, the sand is firm. The crystals form interesting ridges and reflect in the sun. I arrived at 4 p.m. knowing it was a little early, but I wanted to take a look around. It was also very hot. High 90s Fahrenheit, 35, 35 Celsius, and very dry. I put on chapstick here at least three times a day. As usual, it took quite a while to start. I should have remembered from Death Valley that two things are essential to shoot pictures of dunes. One, heavy shadows to show off the contours in early morning or late afternoon, and two, you have to be in the middle of things, away from the road, and usually a bit of a walk or even climb away. It always takes time, probably more than you realize. There are a couple of challenges I had to overcome. First, I had to drive so far just for White Sands and time it especially so I could get there at the two best times of the day's sequences. Second, although the monument is open till 30 minutes after sunset, around 7.15, it doesn't open till 8.30, way after sunrise. So the only time I could get the moody, dusky shots was late afternoons. As it turned out, I enjoyed myself once I got into it, and indeed found myself eventually quite far from the parking area. Further in, I got some lovely shots of the sun sitting below a rugged mountain, silhouetted, and the full or nearly full moon rising over the corresponding mountain range on the other side. The last two have been true reminders of Ansel Adams' moonrise over Hernandez, also taken in New Mexico. At Mesilla, an extremely dozy little backwater place that has a historical plaza and a small town set of shops, 
One was selling framed Ansel Adam photos for $17.95, and they were real prints. If they hadn't been framed and therefore difficult to carry home, I'd have been sorely tempted. Oh, well, I guess I would have to take my own shots. October 1987, Great Sand Dunes, Colorado, USA. The Great Sand Dunes were incredible. Again, it was only when you were in them that they get interesting. But unlike the other dunes, I didn't need to wait for late afternoon because here the sky was partly cloudy. The patterns and shapes projected onto the sand were amazing. These dunes were very different from the others I've seen. For one thing, they were huge. And due to the sky conditions, second, they were able to be photographed at any time of day. November 1990, El Centro, California, USA. Back in California. Now it's hot. As I left, it was 82 degrees Fahrenheit, 27 Celsius in Los Angeles, even with their sea breezes. Who knows what it's here in the desert? It's so dry that the irrigated areas feel like tropical jungles as you drive by. They're magnificently healthy and green. And yet 45 minutes away is a 40-mile range of sand dunes, so convincing that Lawrence of Arabia was actually filmed here. I drove out to the Algodonas sand dunes to catch the early light. The sun was rising through an indentation in the distant chocolate mountains around 6 a.m. And as soon as the light was good enough, five minutes later, I started shooting these dunes. As with every other one mentioned, I discovered that they're not photogenic until I'm actually in them, following animal tracks and the contours of the shadows. Then they were superb. These dunes were largely covered by the ridges that make them photographable. Where they're rippled, they're also firm, and it was quite easy to ascend as compared to the great sand dunes mentioned previously that were almost impossible to climb. I shot like crazy, seeing nicer and nicer motifs. By 7.45, I was finished, the rapidity of the sun's flight making the light already too harsh, and I felt like I had already done a day's work. March 1996, United Arab Emirates. An assignment photographing idyllic, if somewhat boring, tropical so-called paradises in the Maldive Islands had me transiting in both directions via the completely opposite landscape desert of Dubai. Never one to miss a chance to see something new, I had arranged a few days here for a completely different change of pace. I found the city brash and new. Their old traditional areas being gradually demolished in favor of Dubai enhancing its reputation of becoming futuristic. After a snapping a few of the latest constructions, I decided it would be fun to see something else. Excursions were being offered into the desert, and how could I resist? I opted for one that comprised a four-wheel jeep vehicle that glided over the mountains of sand dunes and ended with an al fresco sunset meal before returning to the so-called oasis of modernity. There were five of us, including the driver, and a Russian father with two boys. Off we went, going off-piste from the highway into off-road territory. 
The driver watched our faces as he took more and more adventurous routes up and down these sandy hillocks. The drives became wilder, and as none of us complained, and in fact apparently enjoyed, up and down we went, faster and faster. I was having a great time treating the ride like a roller coaster, and despite spitting out the flying sand that inevitably made its way through the window into my mouth, until suddenly one of the Russian boys in the back seat cried out in his Russian accent, Stop! We came to a sudden halt when the boy grasped the door, desperately opened it, and spewed out what must have been his lunch. Sadly, from then on, the ride was more demure, but it was fun while it lasted. December 1996, Abu Dhabi, UAE. Returning from a cruise shoot that ended in Sri Lanka, we're about to land in our transit point of Abu Dhabi. 18,000 feet and dropping, loads of late evening sand dunes beneath us. Below is Oman, even though we're heading for the United Arab Emirates. Sand rippling in the 5 p.m. shadows, endless, interrupted only by a passing cloud and a faint attempt at something being cultivated. Our tires are about to touch on to an aisle of sand unless a runway appears in the next few minutes. February 1999, around Perth, Western Australia. Australia. Thomas Cook sent me on a three-book commission to Australia. Even though it took a month, it turned out to be a whirlwind cross-country trip. Details appearing on another podcast. The first halt was in Western Australia where I was hosted by the WA Tourist Office. The capital city, Perth, one of the most isolated in the world, was lovely, particularly as it was Southern Hemisphere summer versus Northern European winter from where I came. But I looked forward to getting into the countryside. On a day trip, we visited the Lancelin sand dunes. At the time, I was obsessed by the author Tim Winton. I had read his book, Cloud Street, as recommended, and had read all the works that I could find subsequently. I heard that he lived in Lancelin. Although I didn't get the chance to meet him, I did get a bit more insight into his world. Still, the reason for the visit was to play in the sand. Even more so, to try sandboarding down those golden hills. I didn't have the confidence to slide down them standing up, but I did manage while sitting down. October 1999, White Sands, New Mexico, USA. Yet again, while photographing the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta, another assignment, I find myself at White Sands National Monument. It's around 4 p.m. Sunset is about 7, and I think I'll suss out the territory for great shots. It's the usual dune crisis. I know there are views out there to knock the socks off, but where? All I see are car pucks and people, or at the very least, footprints. So I need to delve deeper and hit valleys and more car parks. This shouldn't surprise me. It's the same with every sandbank I've ever seen. Memory has failed me completely, or perhaps what I remember has been superseded by time. After all, I was here 10 years ago, and since then, White Sands has become a more popular attraction than Carlsbad Caverns, also in New Mexico, but much further south. 
I'm struggling and sighing, justifying my hesitation by saying that the photo library doesn't really need more White Sands pics, or that I've done enough anyway. Then the park ranger finds me. The car pulls over in the distance. A slightly menacing, somewhat militaristic figure shouts, Hi! at me, then asks if I'm from New Mexico tourism. I reply, Actually, I am. It turns out that Nancy, the representative, had been looking for me. She says that I can hang around after sunset, and if I get lost in the sand, she'll find me. I thank her, and my confidence soars. In the meantime, the sky becomes deliciously speckled with white puffies, promising a gorgeous sunset. Of course, the colors of the dunes start. I'm more of a connoisseur now, and I recognize subtle differences. White sands don't get golden in the late sun, as the sands are actually white from the gypsum. They go pastel, not just a rosy pink, but also a pale blue. The end of the day started making its own light show, with the sun seductively dropping between a gap in the mountain silhouette. No point ignoring this. I plop down into the cool, powdery gypsum on top of a ridge and decide to watch. Not only does the sky explode when the sun breaks free of cloud, but the dunes begin to show off their ridges. I shot more film in the 20 minutes sitting on that crest than I did on the whole rest of the time in the monument. Then the performance finishes with a curtain call of the lingering clouds turning blood red. I sideslip down the dune in the manner that Olivier, my French ski instructor, taught me, returning to the road and find myself totally disoriented. I flag down a nice family from Michigan who, upon my asking directions, invite me to join them to find my car. We tour the end of the park with success, and I bid them adieu. Then, via passing film crew making movies in the dusk, I emerge in the darkness. July 2001, Carteret, France. Based in England, my trips to France were so often I hardly thought of myself as being out of the country. However, as the landscape changed, so did my awareness. On another assignment in Normandy, I noted that the sea here was less busy than with less boaties, wilder in some ways, much more pleasant than better-known regions of France. It's a bit unfair for this area's tourism, as it's a gorgeous evening, and I suspect visitors tend to go further south to be assured of better weather. In the meantime, it's stunning here. The beaches are endless. How will it be when the tide is in? The Channel Islands make nice silhouettes against the setting sun in the distance, and the lighthouse on the Cape stands prominently on a wild hillside. There are dunes and fine sand strands. Lurking sparsely and discreetly in the background are those mock half-timbered Normandy seaside villas, which I've always associated with cloud and sea storms. Well, I guess there has to be good weather at some point. November 2001, Pinnacles, Western Australia. On a round-the-world selfie tour, I once again found myself in Western Australia, and this time, my first post-Perth destination was the Pinnacles. Located within Nambung National Park, 
These yellow limestone towers of all sizes are an aberrant curiosity. They sit up in sand dunes within view of the distant sea below and are on the checklist for photographers who venture beyond the East Coast. They're fun, though, and it's very easy to play visually with their light and shadow and shapes and forms. What I had learned photographing the sand mountains of previous locations, I could apply here. In addition, like the great sand dunes in Colorado, the clouds broke up the blue monotony and even added character to the place. The pictures came out even better than the first time. December 2001, Kimberley and the Outback, Western Australia. Later, on the same trip, and in the same state, although over a thousand miles north, I joined an excursion to Lombardina. Not an outpost of Lombardy, but rather a mispronunciation of the original Aboriginal name. The charming endemic church, decked up in its local version of Christmas decorations, complete with an elaborate seashell altar, was only just overshadowed by the wonderful Strand, another candidate for one of the best beaches in the world. Our guide laid out our afternoon tea among the white sand dunes, and I happily did my Fred Astaire soft shoe shuffle in the sand. Three years later, December 2003, Padre Island, Texas, USA. As part of my American road trip, with the intent of seeing regions I had not only never seen before, but, but would be unlikely to see under normal assignment circumstances, I made my way to the bottom of Texas. Intrigued by islands, sandbars, and barrier islands that skirted virtually the entire east coast of America, I drove over to South Padre Island. I had not expected this a resort with sand dunes straddling lovely beaches. Although it had relatively little development, especially for a coastal tourist destination that welcomed college spring breakers, it reminded me of how the big Florida hotel strips must have looked before they were really exploited. While there, I indulged, indulged briefly in a beach holiday. Enough leisure, I thought, when there was still so much left to see in the United States. I forced myself to leave the bucket and spade in the sand, pack up my locally purchased swimsuit, and hit the road again. Despite the fact that the basic constituent of these natural landmarks is more or less the same, my experience with each of these sand dunes locations was completely different. Great fun scrabbling around, perhaps a grown-up version of playing in the sandbox, but with photographic justification, I relish every opportunity in every country where they exist and where I may be to risk the sand filling my shoes to get a good shot. I will continue to do so every chance I get.